last Sunday to get to be with you, but I'm glad to be here today. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm Alan. I'm the youth and family pastor here. Uh, our lead pastor, Mark, is out right now. Be back next Sunday, so uh, you'll be looking forward to being here for that next week. And and what a what a privilege it is and a joy to get to be here. But I want to just challenge our hearts. I want to jump right in about this idea of prayer. We just saw a couple of verses and the word prayer in the video, and that's great. But but if we don't take action beyond that, it just tickles our eyes and tickles our ears. And and I think for too often and for too many generations, we've allowed the tickling of our ears and the tickling of our eyes to be enough. And it's not. Prayer is a gift that God has given us. It, it is a get-to thing, not a have-to thing. And, and, and so often we make it a last resort when it's our best option. We use it as a spare tire when things are getting rough, when God says it's the steering wheel. And we have some choices to make when it comes to prayer and how we're going to respond. It's a, an invitation to intimacy with God and a weapon that is greater than our enemy. It's a gift. It's a lifeline when life is heavy and hard to take. It's not something to be ignored or thrown away. It's a place of unity and promise when two or more are gathered. It slows us down in the crazy of life. It's a gift. I think about how important it was to Jesus and how often in the New Testament we see that he often went off to a solitary place to pray. He went off to a mountain to pray. He went off to go spend time. He went deeper into the garden to pray. Like it was important and vital for the Son of God to pray to his Father. How much more vital is it for us to be in position? Prayer matters. It's effective. It's life-changing. And I don't want us to miss it. And maybe I'm just preaching to myself today about the need for this and the depth of this to happen. But I think too often we take this gift of prayer and we push it aside. We take a lot of the things that God gives us and we kind of push them aside till we're ready for them. Till we reach the end of ourselves and say, well, you know, whatever. And I don't think we should treat God's gifts that way. I have three pictures that hang in my office. I'm going to show these pictures to you one at a time. This is the first picture that's in my office. This is a piece of art right here. I love you, Daddy, from Molly. In case I forgot who it was to, to Daddy. So there you go. She's 15 and quite the artist for 15. I think, no, I think, I think, I love you, Molly, wherever you're at. Um, I think she did this when she was about five years old. Uh, but, but I keep it in my office um, because as a teenager, I need to be reminded that she really does love me uh, at times. Because there's plenty of times she doesn't like me. Um, we won't talk about the dishwasher or anything. But um, anyway, it, that's a gift from her. But but it was, you know, I mean, kids do drawings for you all the time. Whatever. But I've treasured this. It hangs in my office there. The second one that we have is actually from a girl named Brianna. And I had gone to speak at a disciple now in Huntsville. And, and had spent the weekend there and, and teaching. And on Sunday morning after church, she came up to me and handed me this piece of paper and said, Hey, Alan. I just wanted to give this to you. I'm like, all right, great, thank you. It says on there, we are all princesses in God's eyes. I'm assuming she's talking about girls um, with that. But, uh, but I, I had taught that weekend on our identity in Christ and, and who we are in Christ. And, and she drew this, and, and, and I thought, this is great. And I had shared the illustration that if you're a female and you are a child of God through a relationship with Jesus, that makes you a child of God. God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you're a female child of God who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, then you're a female child of a king, which makes you a princess. 
That's not my opinion. That's God's fact that he tells us from his word. And so I taught that, and she drew this and gave it to me. I thought, this is very sweet. This is good. The youth pastor afterwards, I showed him that. I said, look, Brianna gave me this, and he started tearing up. And he, he said, you're not going to believe this. And I said, believe what? I don't, I don't know this girl at all. And, uh, and he said, she has been on the fringe of everything we've ever done. The fact that she even came to Disciple Now was crazy. She hates herself. She hates her life. She thinks she's the worst person ever. And to give you a self-portrait that says that about herself is life-changing. And I thought, I don't ever want to forget that. That's why we teach God's word is so we understand who we are in Christ in that. The third picture is one that was given to me just a couple of years ago. And it's also from a girl who came through our student ministry a long time ago. Uh, And I remember one Wednesday night sitting out in the parking lot in the tailgate of a truck. There's about five or six of us sitting out there. And, and she gave her life to Christ, just sitting in the parking lot after Powerhouse one Wednesday. Friends had invited her. She had been loved well by her friends, and they brought her. And through that time of hearing her story and her giving her life to Christ, uh, I found out some things that, that had gone on, that she had been treated very inappropriately by men that she's supposed to trust, like her grandfather and her uncle, who had done things that should not have been done. And, and this giving her life to Jesus was a big step because she was going to trust a man. Fast forward on to college, and she gets to college and starts dating this Christian guy, and they have this relationship, and he tries to do the same things that have been done to her as a child. And she said, I'm done with this, and chose an alternative lifestyle. And I stayed in touch. I still stay in touch. We talked right before the COVID hit two years ago, whatever. I get a call. And she says, Alan, can you come visit me? And I said, sure. I, I mean, I'm happy to visit. Like, you still live in where you were? And she said, no, actually, I'm in Shoal Creek. I tried to kill myself the other day. And as I sat in Shoal Creek, she said, there's only two people whose phone numbers I have memorized, my wife and yours. Strange combination. But uh, I said, why is that? She goes, you're the only two people that have ever loved me. And she goes on to tell me where she's been and what's been going on. And she said, I drew this picture and colored it in for you because I wanted to say thank you. And I wanted you to know that you can tell my story anytime you want to tell it. Because I know you pray for me. I know you don't agree with the life I live. I know you don't agree with all the actions I take. But I know you love me and I know you won't quit praying for me. And it just broke my heart. And I thought, prayer is a gift. It's a get-to thing. And we need to be men and women of prayer. And here's the deal. It needs to be both ways. We need to be giving and we need to be receiving. It's not all about, I'm going to be a prayer warrior and I'm going to go pray for everybody. It's also saying, I need prayer. Can you pray for me? Like It goes both ways and our pride gets in the way way too often for that. Because, yeah, I'll pray for somebody else. And, And a lot of times what we do is we take that prayer and we twist it into... Gossip. Oh, you need to pray for this person. You hear what's going on in their life? And instead of being prayer warriors who our hearts break for what's going on, we become gossipers who tell other people in the form of a prayer request. And I think prayer is so much more important and vital than that. And then I thought this. What if any of those three pictures that I showed, what if I had taken Molly's picture as a five-year-old? Here, Daddy, I want you to have this. Yeah, that's really good. And throw it away. 
What, what if when I went to see Tammy in the, in the hospital there at Shoal Creek and she said, I want you to have this as pictures for you. And I'm like, I don't know. I think you can do better. I mean, that's okay. Like how, how would she feel in that moment? And I thought that would crush her. It would crush Molly. It would crush Brianna. It would crush her. I, I, what would happen? In that? I don't, I don't want to do that. But how often have I done that with the gifts that God has given me? God, this is great, but I think you can do better because I don't like my life. God, I, I don't, I'm not okay, so I want something different. This isn't good enough. Or how many times have I judged something that God has given me? Like, I don't know, let's say salvation. Let's say grace. Let's say these two things. And I say, man, God, this is an awesome gift, but man, why are you giving it to them? Do you know what they've done? They don't deserve this. They're not as good as me. Like, you haven't made it special because you give it to everybody. Like, how many times have I thought that? How many times have we thought that? Like, yeah, it's great for me, but why do they get it when they haven't been as good as me? When it's available for all of us. But I need to earn it. i got to do some more stuff so I feel like I deserve it. Spoiler alert, you'll never deserve it. Because we're sinners. And God is a gracious, loving, kind God. Personal with us. And Paul, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Paul, in Ephesians, wrote a prayer for the church. These were his prayer requests for the church. And yes, he wrote it to Ephesus at that time. But it's applicable to Round Rock right now in 2022. And so as I I thought, what to share today? Let's share Paul's prayer request for the church. And let it be our prayer request as we move forward. And something that we pray for each other. Something that we pray with each other. And here's the deal. There's no gossip in this whole thing. It's just truth that we get to receive. It's just opportunity to pray and go deeper. And connect with people in that way. And and I connect with Paul's writing because he's kind of scatterbrained in a lot of ways. He started chapter 3 by wanting to pray. It's funny when you read verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, uh, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Like he's about to start praying and then he like uh, chases a rabbit for 13 verses. And then he comes back in verse 14. And that's kind of where we'll pick it up. Is right here in verse 14 where he, he actually begins the prayer in this. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Okay, I am, I am humbling myself. I'm going to get on a knee. I'm going to kneel before the Father. Why? From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We're together. This is for everyone. If you choose Christ, you get his name. You become his. That's why he calls us the bride of Christ. When Amy and I got married, she got a new name. She was my bride. When we enter a relationship with Christ, we get a new name. We are child of God. And so he says, every family in heaven on earth derives its name because we were made in his image on purpose and for a purpose. And then he goes to verse 16. Here's what I pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Oh, there's good stuff in here. His first prayer request for us is this. It's strength. That's his prayer. I pray out of his glory and riches, he may strengthen you. He prays strength. That's not a new thing that we've ever asked for. I would say most of us, if not all of us in here and even watching online, have prayed for strength. God, give me strength. i got to get through the day. i got to suck it up. i, I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Have you ever tried to do that? It's not possible. It's a dumb saying. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They're on your feet. 
But he says here, I'm praying for strength. Now, I default to the physical when I see that. That's when I read that word strength, I automatically think about physical strength. The Greek word for physical strength is dunamos. That's like dynamite. That's power. That's the strength, the physical strength that comes. And, and that's a great thing to pray, but that's not what he's praying here. The word for strength here in the Greek is kriteo. It's the word kriteo. It's a fascinating word, and, I, and I've, I've come to love this word as I've studied it more because it's so good to understand the depth of this. So let me explain it to you by giving you an example in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You don't have to turn over there. It'll be on the screen. But you can make a note. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is about David. Now, David, before he became king, was being chased by the Amalekites, and I mean by Saul. Saul was going crazy. So David and his men were on the run from Saul all the time. And while they were on the run, David and his men, the women and children and livestock and everything were left here back at home. The Amalekites heard, hey, David and his men are on the run. The women and children and livestock are unprotected. Let's go. So they did. The Amalekites go and they completely capture every uh, woman, child, and livestock and they burn the place to the ground. Like they just burn it all, take everybody and everything, burn it to the ground. David and his men come back. As they're on the run, they circle back to check on everything, and it's gone and burned to the ground. They are wrecked. They are done. And it says, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 4, it says, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Dunamis. That's dunamis. They had no physical strength left. They were at the end of themselves. I don't know if you've ever been there. That's a dumb question. I don't know the last time that you were there because we've all been there. It's, I remember in high school when I got home and found out, hey, mom and dad are getting a divorce. Wrecked me. What did I do? How was that my fault? What could I have done better for them not to do this? Later in life, I, I found out it's not my fault. That's on parents. It's not on kids part of what drives me to be a youth pastor, to fight for their hearts in difficult situations. Because I was wrecked in that moment. I didn't know what to do. I cried myself to sleep on multiple occasions. I ran out of tears. I remember this summer, and I'm so grateful for this family here of Central that, that has rallied around me when my mom died this summer, and when I got my cancer diagnosis this summer. And some of you have walked through some of that too and lost and hurt, and you cry. It wrecks you. You don't know what to do next, and you're done with all of your tears. You've wept until you have no more strength left to weep. That's where David and his men were. Their physical was gone. But we find our word kriteo just in two verses later in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, because David is there with all of his men, complete destruction, complete loss, devastation. And then David's men go, all right, so this is where you brought us. I say we kill David. Yeah, bad day turns worse, huh? So they're just going to kill David in this. So verse 6 says this. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Apparently not the wives. I don't know. Maybe some marriage counseling back then. But it says this. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found Kriteo. David found an inner strength that comes from heart, not from muscle. It comes only from Jesus. And it says, 
that he found strength in the Lord his God. It was only after he lost his physical strength was there room for God's strength. It was only after he came to the end of himself was he open to the idea of God's strength coming in. So David responds in prayer. That's how he went. He found his kriteo in the Lord his God. How did he get to the Lord his God? In prayer. David became a man of prayer. Like, I am done. Everything's gone. My wife, my kids, all the livestock, all my men's family, everything's done and they want to kill me. And he found kriteo in that. God, what do I do? I just want to go get them back. I just want to destroy those morons that came and did this to us. And God said, well, I'm glad you asked. Go do that. Oh. <laughs> like He found some strength. He found some criteo in him, and he went. Read the rest of the chapter. It's fantastic. An Egyptian guy helps them, and they go find the guys and where they're at, and they get all their families back. Not a single person was harmed. Not a single animal was lost. And then they came back with all those guys' animals, too. So they came back with more than what they lost when they found their strength in God. The criteo kicked in. Are we willing to lose our own strength in order to gain God's strength this year? Are we willing to find the end of ourselves and trying to do it ourselves and figure it out ourselves and handle it ourselves and say, God, I'm done. I'm empty. I need your strength. What do I do from here? And he responds with the gift of Kriteo. But you're not going to find it in your mailbox. You're going to find it on your knees. You're going to find it in prayer. That was his first prayer request. Strength. His second prayer request for the church is this. In Ephesians 3, we'll go to verse 17, the first part of it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, this is a prayer that your heart would be filled with the right thing. Like, what, what is your heart filled with? Like, what, what are you filled with? You're thinking, I don't know, I'm, I'm headed for some Mexican food after this. Uh, got some Whataburger coming. Like, it's not that. It, it's not that at all. He's not talking about that. Let me tell you how you know what's in your heart. Or, I don't know what I fill my heart with. Let me tell you how you can know what you fill your heart with. It's what comes out of your mouth. Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's in your heart, listen to what you say. How you say it. And not just verbally, but with your thumbs and your fingers and what you type in text. Think about it. Think about the websites that you go visit. Think about the jokes that you tell. Think about the things that you text just to that circle of friends. Well, that's what's in your heart. So are you being careful to fill yourself with the right thing, which is the Holy Spirit? Because that's his prayer, is that, you would, that, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ would be the first and foremost thing. That Christ would be on the throne of your heart. And not just a resident of your heart. Paul's praying that we would choose the best thing, not just the thing that feels good. Or the convenient thing. Or the easy thing. Or the popular thing. The best thing. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the gift he gives us. The counselor. The guide. All of the things that, that, that we need so desperately. That's his second prayer request, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then his third prayer request is in the second part of verse 17. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Roots are a big deal. Roots matter. What are you rooted in? What is it that your roots have gone deep in? Because this is it. God's word needs to be what we are rooted in. 
that we are foundationally built in. Scripture says that, that we hide his word in our heart that we don't sin against him. Like some of you are like, well, I'm going to do a Bible reading plan in 2022. I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. And that's a great goal for some of you. It's not realistic for some of you either. And you're going to get beat down because, well, I'm two days behind, so I give up. And you're going to quit for a year because this goal can't be attained. Quit it. Some days you just need to bite one piece of Scripture and you need to chew on it for a few days. Sometimes you need to memorize a verse that will get you through where you're at. And the rest of the Bible doesn't matter right now because you've got to get through something and you need God's Word to do it. I challenge our students all the time. Memorize Scriptures that meet you where you are. Don't just pick a list of verses. Pick one that meets you where you are. When I was in college, I was so challenged in this, I memorized Job 31.1. It's not a real popular verse to memorize. Very few in here know it. But when your house is on fire, you call 911. When your hormones are on fire, you call 311. Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And you know what? We're living in a culture that bombards you with opportunities to look lustfully at the opposite sex. And I need that verse in my heart. I need that weapon to pull out. I need that to be able, when that comes at me, I can say, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look lustfully at a girl, and I will bounce my eyes to something else. And it's difficult, and it's challenging, but that is his prayer for us, that we would be rooted and established, that God's word would take root in our heart. Because not if, but when the storms come, it's how deep and strong the roots are will determine how that. We learned that a year ago when the trees came. We're about to hit the one-year anniversary of that. We saw a whole lot of trees go down. Because roots weren't where they needed to be. They weren't as deep as they needed to be. And when your roots are deep into God's Word, you don't get blown away by the storms of life. You don't get blown away by the parents' divorce. You don't get blown away by the cancer. You don't get blown away by the person that you love that's going to die. You don't get blown away by the financial worries. You don't get blown away by it. It doesn't say you don't get moved. It says you don't get blown away because the roots are deep. You are rooted in it. And we hang on to the truth and the hope that we have because we get too comfortable here. This isn't our home anyway. We're just passing through. And so I want to challenge us, is that a prayer that we would be rooted and established in love? Because without roots, there is no fruits. And we all love the fruits. But are we willing to do the work to put the roots where they need to be? When no one's looking, are we digging into God's word? Are we hiding it in our heart? So that people go, man, appreciate the fruit. Yeah, because there's roots. So that's his third prayer request, that we would be rooted and established in love. And then his fourth prayer request is verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. And so it says, you may be rooted and established in love, comma, and may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, thus, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This may be the most important prayer request of the four. Because if we can't grasp how much God loves us, we'll never desire the other things. If we don't know how much we are loved by God, why would we ever want his strength? Why would we ever want to go deep in his word? Why would we want to be rooted if we don't believe that that guy really loves us to this level? But look how much he loves us. I want you to know how wide is the first one he says. His arms are wide. 
Like when you do wide, that's how you communicate wide. We sang it as kids. Like we, we know this. Wide is, is his arms open wide to us right where you are. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, his arms are open to accept you. You are not rejected. You're not damaged goods. You don't need a little extra work before you can get there. You are accepted where you are, how you are. But he loves you enough he won't leave you there. He will push you to be more like Jesus, even in your difficult circumstances. But he says, how wide is the love of Christ? The hidden sins, the addictions, you are accepted. You are loved and you are accepted. My love is wide. It expands everything. It's not narrow that you have to fit into this little category for me to love you. He says, all you got to do is come. And my arms are wide. I love you. And then he says, not only not only wide, but I want you to understand how long it is. This is a measurement of time. It means forever. This is something we have a hard time grasping because everything has a beginning and an ending to us. A day, a game, a season, a class, a year, whatever. And we run by the beginnings and endings of time. His love is forever. It, it is long that it means ever. And Romans tells us that nothing can separate us from this love. It is long. It is wide. It is long. And the third one says it is high. It is high. It is up. I will, I will argue this, that it's high enough that his love lifts us to heaven. It's his love that gets us there. And he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, he died for us. And he says, my love is high. You may be feeling like you're low, but I can pull you out of the miry pit and not just put your feet on the rock. I can lift you all the way to heaven if you enter into a relationship with me because you can't get there on your own. But my love spans the gulf that you can't. My love covers the gap that your sin created. That is how high his love is. It goes all the way to heaven and it comes with power and a promise that the best is yet to come. That's worth leaning into. That's worth being overwhelmed by. And then he gives us the fourth one, how deep. So I want you to know how wide and how long and how high and how deep. This is the opposite of shallow. This is the love that was demonstrated on the cross. The depth of his love. In that while we were sinners, he died for us. I can think of no other place in the history of the world or the future of the world that's more horrible and lonely than Jesus on the cross. Let me explain. Yes, it was terrible, the beating that he went through. And his hair getting ripped out of his beard. And, and the crown of thorns on his head. And, and the whip that went on his back. And the sword in his side. And the hands and, and feet that were nailed to the cross. That is horrible. That is physically terrible. But he was absolutely more alone than anyone ever when he was on that cross. Why? Because it tells us that around 3 o'clock the whole place went black. It is pitch black. You could see nothing. Why? Well, number one, God said way back in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. And then Jesus is alone. His aloneness came. Why? Because God is a holy God and he can't even look at sin. So when Jesus took our sin on the cross, his own dad had to turn his back on him because he couldn't look on it because he's a holy God while Jesus paid the price. And I think that at three o'clock in the afternoon when the sun is bright, God said, if I can't look at my son, neither can you. Lights out. And he was alone. No one could see him. 
He could see no one, and his own dad turned his back on him. How deep is his love for you? It's deeper than the cross. It's deeper than the tomb. It's deeper into eternity. And Paul's prayer is that we would understand this kind of love. That he took our whole punishment, not just part of it. He took the whole thing on himself because he loved us. He had no other reason to do it. There was no benefit for him. It was all sacrifice. We were the ones that benefited. And that love is still being offered to us today. And it's offered wide, long, high, and deep. This love surpasses all understanding. Because you're not supposed to just get it with your head. You're supposed to get it with your heart. And until that love goes from your head to your heart, you will not be transformed. You will not be changed. You will not be motivated to be like him. Because once his love consumes you, you want to be like him. That's a powerful thing for us. So my challenge this year to us is this, because one of two things is going to happen to every single one of us. In this room, watching online, lives in this planet. One of two things is going to happen. You're either going to run to Jesus or you're going to run into Jesus. And you're like, what's the difference? Like, what's the, what's the big deal with that? Let me explain that by using football as an illustration to you here. Last night I got to watch the Cowboys on TV play that JV team from Philadelphia. And, and I saw seven times they scored a touchdown last night. And every time they scored a touchdown, they were never alone. Whoever scored the touchdown, their teammates are all running to them. Chest bump, booty bump, like lifting them up. Like they're, they're running to each other. They're running to celebrate what just happened. They ran to each other to be together because they know good things are happening. And we just got to enjoy this moment together. And all of this great stuff, they ran to each other. Now, Michael Parsons didn't play last night. He's the baddest linebacker on the planet right now. And when that running back goes around the edge, they run into Michael Parsons. And it's like a car wreck. And it changes them. And they usually lay down for a while. And don't get back up. They run into it. It is not a pleasant experience. You're thinking, well, God would never do that. Okay, let's look at Jonah. He ran from God, not to God. And he ran into Jesus in the belly of a whale. And he got swallowed. And he spent three days in there. And then he got puked onto a beach. There's way better ways to get to a beach. But he ran into Jesus. Both changes your life. One of them you say hallelujah. The other one you say ouch. You are going to have an experience with Jesus. You're going to run to him or you're going to run into him. And my prayer is that you would choose to run to him, run to his wide arms, run to his love, run to the hope that he gives, run to the obedience that he offers, run to the promises that he's given. There's tons of them in here. Run to these things or you will run into him because he will get your attention because he loves you enough to not let you stay the way you are. But he will push you to be more like Jesus. Where are you? You going to run to him or you going to run into him? Ben's coming for us to respond. And, and he ended his prayer with a very specific thing in verse 20 and 21. 
And so I want to I want to close by reading the end of his prayer because these were his four prayer requests for the church. And we are the church that we get to receive this prayer request or we get to reject it. We can either honor it or we can walk away from it. We can run to Jesus or we can run into Jesus. But the prayer requests are there. And the privilege that we have to pray this for each other is awesome. And it's needed. And it's valued. And I will promise you this, you will run into people all year long that need one of these four prayers prayed over them every time. I would argue that all of us need at least one of these every day of our lives, if not all of them. And he closes with this. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably, more immeasurably, like you can't measure it. There's, it's impossible. You can't get your mind around it. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How big are your prayers? Are you praying stuff that you could get done? Then why are you praying it? If you're praying something that you can control, then you're not praying to God. You're praying to yourself. And you've made yourself God. Stop it. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. What are your dreams for 2022? What's something that only God can do in 2022? What's something that you need to get down here on your knees and say, God, only you can do this and I'm giving it to you right now and it's scaring the mess out of me, but I'm going to trust you. Who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How? According to his power that's at work within us. Not our power. His power. His strength. His criteria. To him be the glory in the church. Thus. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Moms, dads, grandparents. Are you still praying over your kids? Do they still get to hear your heart? If you want the next generation to be people that pray, then you need to be a generation that prays over them. Make that part of your 2022. Oh, they're 17. I don't want to walk in their bedroom and pray over them. Okay, then invite them into your bedroom and pray over them. There's nothing better for a kid than to hear their mom and dad praying to God on their behalf. Blesses them. But if you're just praying stuff you can control, you're wasting your time. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's it. That's His prayer for us. That's the challenge we have in Ephesians 3. We get to respond or not. I'm going to pray. And then you get to do whatever God's telling you to do.